Oh, well, I suppose that the clue is in the title of this mini-series, Tall Histories. Uh, but I'll read a text that I just created for someone now, or that I created for someone just now. It is... Uh, what did I say? Um, I'm speaking some made-up histories at the moment. Yesterday, Cam and I were doing a kind of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore-style joke debate on the fall of Constantinople, and we ended up with remembering how Kublai Khan once loaded horses into trebuchets, set fire to them. That's the horses, not the trebuchets. Uh, that's the Irish <laughs> that once tried to take Constantinople, actually, uh, and set fire to the trebuchets and left the horses alone. No, but uh, Kublai Khan, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> um, set fire to the horses and then hurled them over the walls to set fire to the city. The flying horses of Khan. My goodness, I'd forgotten about those. Yeah. One of the most fascinating periods in history. It was really just a moment, actually. Um, yeah, we've spoken about Genghis Khan a lot in this podcast. Uh, and, um, and we've spoken a lot about Constantinople, too, uh, before it was Istanbul. Yeah, there's a, a, lot, a lot led up to you know, the downfall of Constantinople and um, the final fall of Constantinople was really just the last fall you know, but there was there were many famous falls along the way um, the mighty walls of Constantinople were never breached well not until the cannon was invented you know the cannon the ottomans finally punched a wall a hole through the walls the theodosian walls of constantinople now um but there, oh, there was one fascinating chapter in the history of constantinople the fall and the fall of constantinople and it was uh i think it was the 13th century uh but you might be able to correct me if i'm wrong you can google any of this but um, in particular, Google the flying horses of Khan. Now, what happened there? Um, yeah, Constantinople is a fascinating place. Uh, it, it juts out into the straits. Uh, I forget what the straits are called there, but it's, it's the straits that, you know, the, where, you know, where Troy used to be, the Dardanelles and all that sort of stuff, you know, the, the, where the Mediterranean links to the Black Sea, or is that the Caspian? No, it's the Black Sea. Um, and a very famous spot, you know. Uh, and way, way back in time, um, the, Greek, the Greeks, uh, I think there was a, a town, Byzantia, there, on this very, uh, this very well-fortified, naturally fortified, or defensible, jutting out piece of land that we now know as Istanbul but for a long time was Constantinople and way 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 back in mythical times almost but it was it's very much not a mythical piece of land uh, which was once known as Byzantia you know and 
In retrospect, nowadays, the Roman Empire, as it was, centred on Constantinople for a very long time, you know, way up into the modern era, you know, right up until, what, 1700s or something like that, um, until finally the Eastern Roman Empire fell. Uh, you know, we now call that Byzantium in retrospect, but yeah, it was called Rome. They called themselves the Romans. Now, the flying horses of Khan was a very interesting chapter in the fall and fall of Constantinople. I like, I like that term, the fall and fall. Look, Constantinople really did withstand everything uh, right up until, well, quite recently in the scheme of history, uh, when, as I said, the Ottomans finally punched a hole in it and, it went, uh, and that was the beginning of, that was the real end, the beginning of the real end. Uh, you know, and, uh, well, it used to be a Christian land, and before that, it was a Greek land. It was a very small piece of land, actually, but it's worth Googling, Constantinople. Um, it's defended on three sides by water. And, there's a, and, then, and then you all you have to do is build defences on the final side, which is a land bridge, uh, up you know, into the interior. Of, you know, that, that's the... Um, if, you, if you just head up from there, that's the steps... S-T-E-P-P-E-S, you know, and across to Asia and everywhere, you know. And up there once were all the steppes people, you know, the, uh, the Huns, you know, all the most dangerous people in the world, the Khans, the Turks, the Avars, you know, all those groups, the Turkic people, um, even Slavs, you know, they're all up there and uh, fantastic horsemen in general, uh, you know, the uh, Genghis Khan and all his mob. And um, was, it, was it his nephew or his great-nephew, uh, Kublai Khan? Um, horse people. And the Huns were the most famous horse people of all. And their compound bows and all that. But this episode concerns itself with the most famous chapter in, um, in, in all the... Uh, in, in the fall of fall of Constantinople. And uh, now, there was... Uh, one period where Genghis Khan, and, and I had to be reminded of this by my brother, and, um, and I'll let him pick it up from here because I didn't know all this, this bit that's coming up. Uh, so he's told me this, and I'm sure it's true because he would never lie. Now, everything I've just told you there is sort of out of my head, but the following's out of his head. Now, he was just, he was just telling me, ah, do you know about Genghis Khan and Kublai Khan? You know, I said, yeah, God, I know those guys. I'm I'm a bit sketchy on those guys, but he knows a lot more about those guys than me. But he said Genghis Khan had some tricks. You know, for example, he used to set horses on fire and set them loose and set them running into an enemy camp. You know how you'd have an enemy camp full of tents and all that sort of thing. Not... (laughs) The enemy he had usually wasn't like the Romans, you know, which had spikes sticking out. You know, they would, they would make, they would surround their camps. The Romans of old, I'm talking very old. You know, this is even before the Eastern Roman Empire, and um, they'd set up camp and they'd be fairly impregnable. Those camps, but not those camps. You know, Genghis Khan and all the peoples that he used to conquer, they'd be much more camped in the open. And my brother was just telling me that. Uh, they, um, the Genghis Khan would send burning horses uh, galloping, obviously in pain, 
you know, freaking out, into the camps um, and disrupted. And well, actually, and, and then sure enough, you know, made of tents and all that sort of stuff. Um, there'd be a conflagration, you know. Uh, so, you know, that was one of the strategies of Genghis Khan. He wasn't short of strategies. He, he was like the Hannibal of the East. The Hannibal, oh, Hannibal, he was interesting. He used to harass the Romans. He was vastly outnumbered and roaming around inside Rome, roaming in Rome. And um, Hannibal always used to attack the Romans at breakfast time uh, because the Romans, were, uh, they liked porridge, the Romans. Um, and... The Romans figured if they could just get some porridge into them in the morning, they were unstoppable for the rest of the day. That was kind of the Roman psyche. They became a little bit dependent on it. They were into porridge. Uh, and there was always a, a good grain supply for the Romans because, you know, they had Egypt and all that sort of stuff, you know, and Tunisia and all this sort of stuff. And they used to... Um, and the Fertile Crescent and all that sort of thing. And they used to be, get the oats up um, and, uh, and the armies were supplied with grain. And the and the Romans used to um, say to them they they got the they got the soldiers hooked on porridge, and, and and I find this to be true of myself too. If I have a good serve of porridge in the morning, I'm unstoppable for the rest of the day. It actually works. Try it. Yeah. Even if it transpires, or in the case of the Romans, transpired uh, that. You really don't get another chance to eat all day. You can go and go like the ever-ready battery man uh, for the rest of the day. You get a bit hungry by the end of the day, but that porridge will keep you going all day. Uh, now, Hannibal, you know, he was a bit like Genghis Khan, and Genghis Khan was like Hannibal. Um, he knew this, and um, and he had a th- Hannibal was incredible, one of the greatest generals ever. Uh, and he used to instruct, he, even if he felt that he couldn't take a Roman camp, uh, he would harass them at breakfast time and upset their breakfasts. And it really had a psychological effect on the Romans and wrecked the Romans for the entire day that day. And he would do that day after day and, uh, and really attack Roman morale more than anything. This can happen. You can, uh, humans are habit-forming sort of creatures and if you know if they they start if they have porridge for a whole year they start to rely upon it and if they don't get it they're they're all at sea well on land um, in the case of the romans not really a seafaring nation yeah. and neither was khan and you know and that becomes interested genghis khan now genghis khan used to have his own strategies burning horses into the enemy camps now um I think I think my brother was saying that Genghis Khan actually did get into Constantinople at one stage, uh, but he might have got out again. I think Genghis Khan used to come and then go sometimes. I don't think. Um, I think um, I think he exploited a weakness in the walls at one stage. But the, but one way or another, and I wasn't you know I didn't get the full story. But Kublai Khan, you know, who we look, he was a great man, but. Um, everyone talks about Genghis Khan. That must be tough for Kublai Khan, you know. What a shadow. And Kublai Khan came back and... Or did Genghis Khan ever get there in the first place? I'm not sure. All right, but the point is, I think Kublai Khan came across... Is it the Theodosian walls? You know, the, one, the, the double set of walls. 
uh, on the land bridge between Constantinople and the rest of the world, the known world to the north. Uh, Kublai Khan came over the walls and he knew, he used to, he had the Genghis Khan book of strategy in his left-hand pocket. Well, actually, it's just in his mind. Um, and, you know, you get your geniuses and then you get your, you get your guys that are one peg down, but they're still good, you know. Not everyone can be James Heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just get people who are just down a peg, you know, just just a little bit off genius. Anyway, Kublai Khan was just a little bit off genius, or this is what my brother was telling me, and I'm in uncharted territory here because the rest of it is... Um, and my brother says that the rest of this is true and there's not a word of a lie in it. Now, um... Kublai Khan came up against that the walls of Constantinople. There's no going. Yeah, look, Constantinople is defended on three sides by water. See, for a, a land grubber like Kublai Khan, uh, you go. You, you've only got one option. Yeah, uh, come in via the land walls. Um, oh, and, and not only by this stage was Constantinople defended on three sides by water, but also by towering, um, towering uh, walls that came straight out of the ocean, out of the sea, sorry. It's only a sea there. It's only a pass, really, between the Mediterranean and the Black Sea. Now, um, and, and the, do you know that... And, and the other in thing about uh, the water defences of Constantinople is the waters are fluky and they... Uh, all the advantage lies with whoever has Constantinople because the currents move past Constantinople and down towards where, you know, most um, enemies want to come from, you know, from where most, much, most of the enemies of Constantinople in history ever came and that was, you know, the Arabs and you know, anyone else who might want to come from anywhere around there, Egypt, you know, Fertile Crescent, um, Saudi... <laughs> Uh, so, look, forget the water, you know, is what the Genghis Khan book of strategy uh, said to Kublai Khan and, um, and forget the water and come by land, but he was presented by the land walls. He, he, he came up against the land walls. Now, Kublai Khan, not thinking much outside the box, he was no Genghis Khan and he was no Hannibal, and my brother says that the following is true and there's not a word of a lie in it. Um, um, he knew that what you had to do was bird the horses. And um, so he, he knew that bit. And he'd also learned about the old Roman trick of the trebuchet. You know? Now, he knew he wanted to... He, he, um, he knew that you had to start a fire in the enemy camp, one way or another, and the rest would just fall into place because that's how it had always been you know, in Genghis Khan's time. So Kublai Khan said, if, uh, if I just do what Uncle Genghis did, um, same result. Um, and, uh, and, and then one morning as he was sitting there, um, he came up with his plan. Get the torches ready. <laughs> Um, cover the horses in oil, load them into the trebuchet. We are going to fling burning horses over the walls 
into Constantinople. And uh, it was a very famous attack on Constantinople, most notably because it didn't work. Uh, the bit about the porridge was true, though. And I do think that um, I remember something about those burning horses, too. I, I think I remember um, hearing on a podcast, I'm pretty sure it was by Mike Duncan, and um, I think I remember him saying that um, the Romans in Constantinople, they were warned about these flying burning horses yeah. um, the Khan army said we are going to um, rain burning horses on you yeah. and they, will be, they shall be like meteors uh, a thousand meteors yeah. and, um, and they shall light up your, the sky with fire yeah, as, as, as if it were a thousand suns and they shall, shall rain down fire on you. you know, something like that. I think that's how the... And um, the Romans, you know, they, they kind of thought themselves to be the next generation of Spartans in a way. You know, the Romans were a bit Spartan, it seems to me. Um, and they said, we don't mind. You know, we like fighting in broad daylight. And that's how it went. I'm almost certain I remember that. You know, that was in one of the episodes of. My, look, you'd have to listen to the entire series on Rome by Mike Duncan. Excuse me, helicopter. <laughs> Directly above me. Yeah, how rude. Uh, you'd have to read. Uh, sorry, listen to the entire podcast of Mike Duncan to prove me wrong on Rome. And even then you wouldn't because this is not the Constantinople that Mike Duncan was talking about in his podcast, The Histories of Rome, uh, because he covered Rome only up until the fall of the Western Roman Empire. But I do recommend that one. And, uh, and he started his... Um, podcast with actually, you know, Aeneas um, escaping the Battle of Troy. You know, Rome wrote themselves into Hellenic histories, you know, and, and there's some evidence that there is a link between the Romans and the Hellenes of old or the Hellenic world of old. I'm not sure, but I think the Trojans might be even part of the Hellenic world as well. You know, what's a Greek? You know, and I, I, I my personal um, sort of best guess at what a Greek is is anyone or any culture um, in the Hellenic world broadly, uh, which uh, traces itself back to you know. Um, the Iliad and the Odyssey and all that sort of stuff, you know, Zeus and all that sort of thing. If, if you look back in your history and you can see the Greek gods, then I call you a Greek. Um, and the Trojans, I think, were part of the Hellenic world in that sense. You know, sometimes you say the Greeks fought um, 
some other mob, you know, the Trojans, even the Macedonians, you know, you know, but it's Greeks fighting Greeks because, like Alexander, he's a Macedonian, but when he looked back into his past, he could see Zeus and he could see uh, Achilles and all of that, you know, so he was a Greek. You know. um, so that's that, as far as I'm concerned. Um, what was I talking about? Can't remember. That'll do for this episode.